Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Friday morning in downtown Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. I'm with fellow Browns beat writer Scott Pascoe and Dan Lobby. My friends, how you two doing? I'm ready to leave Indianapolis. Yes. I, do. I like it here. I like this city. Uh, but I, I remember every year at the Combine that, A, I probably stayed a day too long, and B, I'm about ready to go once the week is over. Yeah, a week in Indianapolis is plenty, I think. <laughs> yep, yep. Our feet are tired. We've been walking everywhere. This convention center is huge. Look, it's convenient, but it's big. Um, so we're going to wrap up here. It's been a long week, a fun week. Uh, you know, we started with coaches and and GMs and quarterbacks and then linemen. Yesterday we got uh, defensive linemen, linebackers, today some DBs. So just overarching, let's take a look back on the week that was. Um, your biggest takeaways, you guys, from the NFL scouting combine and where the Browns are going now. I felt like it was sort of an uneventful combine for the Browns. I felt, you know, sort of... I felt this a little bit last year, too, um, but especially this year, for whatever reason, it just, the Browns were kind of under the radar, and when we talked to right. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, uh, you know, it was really just kind of the local group. You know, every year when you get in those scrums at the podiums, and you saw it with other places, you're, you get a lot of national people that come in, or just other outlets, and, and they want to get questions, and, you know, when you're at the podium, because we get a little side session, you kind of let them do their thing. And we all kind of looked at each other at one point like, oh, I guess we're going to ask the questions. <laughs> yeah. this. So it was very, this team is very much flying under the radar right now. And they don't have this big, like, their, their need is offensive line, right? Which is a really boring need. Uh, so they, they aren't even, even really in that sense, there's not a lot of buzz there. So it's just really different for the Browns. It's probably a good thing they feel like a normal team here. Yep. Uh, which, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think my takeaway is very similar. It's it's like the reality of what the rest of the NFL has been like for you know all these years. Now the Browns are, are finally feeling that you know it's, there's no debate over uh, who they might take it with the top you know pick or the second pick or the third sure. pick. So the players we've been focusing on, it's like I told Dan earlier today. It's almost like throwing darts at a, yeah. at a dartboard because yeah. we we think we we think it's going to be offensive line in the first round. After that. Right. Who knows? So it's, it's not – you don't have that debate like we've had in, in, in other years. And, and, and you're right, it's, this isn't the Super Bowl anymore for the Browns. You know, for so many years there, it was – everything was around this week and, and who they could take and, and, and meeting these people. And now it's, eh, well, you know, <laughs> they right. got the 10th pick. But, but like you said, they pick a lineman. That's what we expect, and that's not the, the sexy pick anymore. Yeah, Scott, I think that's a really good point with the, the throwing darts analogy. Even at offensive linemen, look, I, some of this might sort itself out through workouts and pro days, but even being here right now, I mean, we wrote and talked about, like, what, five or six different offensive linemen the other day. Um, but one guy that isn't up for debate, his status, where he goes maybe, but Isaiah Simmons of Clemson, he is – really getting buzzed as a, as a blue-chip prospect, uh, a, a modern-day hybrid NFL linebacker, safety, whatever you want to call him, a guy who can play anywhere. And, it, look, it's a, it's a bit of a long shot, he, but he could fall, and the Browns might have a choice to make there at 10. Let's talk about Simmons a little bit. What impresses you about him hearing him talk, and do you think the Browns pull the trigger if he's there at 10? 
Can we say first, uh, Ellis is really carrying the torch <laughs> on our staff for Isaiah Simmons. He really is. At every turn, he, he's, he's trying to will it to happen, I think. <laughs> the so. kid can play. Well, yeah, I saw it. You, you tweeted out yesterday that chart. Yeah, that was like, awesome. Hey, look, 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 look at all these mock drafts. I, I apologize. I, I wish I had the guy's Twitter handle on me. Um, yeah, some guy out in Cincinnati, data guy, just has these charts of probability, and there's, we're saying there's a chance. We're just saying there's a chance, you guys. But yeah, with Simmons, what what is it about him? And do you think if he is there at ten, the Browns should pull the trigger despite the needed offensive line? The hard reason to, the reason that's hard to answer is because we haven't gotten through free agency yet, right? And 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 any trades that might happen, you know, right before free agency. So, you know, ask us again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I understand <laughs> if they that. do, if they do uh, make a big splash on the offensive line in free agency, then then it seems like yeah, that's the kind of person that that you might even you know trade up a couple of spots and get, but. Um, I don't know if if, if it, everything stays the same, and right now you're looking at tackle versus Isaiah Simmons. I don't, you have to it's, look at Baker Mayfield and think, you know, right. this is what we talked about all last season about him running around and, and the offensive line having issues, and now you're going to turn towards the defense with that number ten pick. I, that that's hard to. I think that's hard to do. And and these are the moments that are going to test your collaboration skills, right? That's all we've heard since January is collaboration and, and being together. And there's that photo going around of Kevin Stefanski and Paul DePodesta, and they're both sitting in the same, like practically the same position last yeah. night while, yeah. while they're watching the, the workouts. That hasn't been tested yet because they haven't had to make any real decisions. And right. at some point, if we get to April and Isaiah Simmons falls to 10, you're going to have some different factions. You know, obviously the defensive staff is going to want Isaiah Simmons. Joe Woods is going to be sitting there saying, I can do a million different things with this guy. You know, maybe by then you've lost Joe Schobert and, and you really want a guy like a Simmons in there. Uh, you know, and then the offensive staff is getting the owners and whoever else. Is, well, we got to protect Baker Mayfield. And these tackles are really good. And we used to have Joe Thomas. Yeah. You know, so, that, so that's sort of where all that gets tested and where Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry kind of get tested as far as, okay, we've heard everybody's opinion. This is the decision we're going to make, and now we're going to get everybody on board. And that's sort of why I'm rooting for this, right? I yeah. love the best part of the NFL draft is you've got to throw your cards on the table. And I kind of want to see what the Browns would do in that scenario. Not because I want to see them fail, but because I just want to see how they would handle that situation. And I'm really genuinely curious what, what they would do. And, and it wouldn't just be a case of trying to get Isaiah Simmons because you want to get as much talent as possible. The Browns have legitimate questions at linebacker and safety. Of course. Or, you know, they're maybe more so than most other positions. You know, you have the, the free agency situation. You have injuries at both positions. You have youth that yep. you're not really sure what it's going to become at both positions. So there are a bunch of question marks that you, a player like Simmons could, you know, could provide the answers for. And the, the other piece of this, too, I think, is, you know, the Browns obviously beat the Ravens last year. And then they lost to the Ravens in the second game. But it was close in the first half until they ran off. Uh, but I, I felt like one of the reasons they were able to beat Baltimore the first time was Miles Garrett. Yeah. I think he's a guy who has the ability to make life hard on Lamar Jackson. And then let's say you throw Isaiah Simmons out there. Exactly. Who you can line up at safety or linebacker, and he's super athletic, and he can cover tight ends. Who We know Baltimore loves tight ends. So now you got Garrett and you've got Simmons, and you've got to play Lamar Jackson twice a year. And you do sort of have to build, you know, you don't build your roster to beat one team, but you do have to keep that in mind as you're building your roster. And if you have two just stud, can run all over the place defensive players, one at end, one at linebacker, or wherever you line them up, 
that helps you in that matchup. And then, of course, it would probably help you in what you would hope would be a potential big matchup with a team like Kansas City or, or someone like that. Yeah, Dan, that's a really good point, and I'm now realizing that I'm going to go back and forth on this oh, yeah. up until the draft <laughs> because you make a great point about stopping Lamar Jackson. We can say all we want about, oh, offensive line, you know, we need to protect Baker Mayfield. The Browns can say that all they want. But you're right. They've got Lamar Jackson in division. need to worry about him twice a year. And your point about Miles Garrett is correct. And the safeties that, it, when they played in Baltimore, had a heck of a game, too. I think of, I think Demarius Randall had that sack. That, that was when Jermaine Whitehead was still around. And they were yep. using Jermaine Whitehead kind of in that, that hybrid role. Yep, he got that deep uh, pick uh, covering the middle of the field there. So it, we're going to go back and forth on that because you're exactly right. Isaiah Simmons is a guy who is going to be able to make tackles on a guy who really is untouchable in space in Lamar Jackson. And that's something that you really have to take seriously because you don't only build for what's best for your team and specifically your offense, but the name of the game in the NFL is winning the division. And they have to think about stopping Lamar Jackson really now for the next eight to ten years, and Simmons could be the answer for that. Yeah, if Steve Wilkes was still here, he'd be standing on table <laughs> right. and screaming that they have to do whatever they can to get this guy. He just seems like the perfect player that, that he would want yep. you know, in his defense, but we'll see what, what they do going forward. Yeah, so let's say it isn't Simmons and they, they grab a lineman, then you have to assume they'd be foolish not to address defensive backs, specifically safety, later on in the draft. Today we spoke to some DBs. Uh, Scott, I know you talked to an interesting guy. Um, what did you learn from him, and is that a guy that you think the Browns could really go after going down the line here? Yeah, Kyle Duggar, and I'm going to call him Duggar because I'm not <laughs> sure exactly how to pronounce his name. There's so many players we, we write about, we yep. never hear their name pronounced, so so it's Duggar. But uh, he's from Division II, uh, Lenore Ryan. Uh, he was the Division II Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, got an invite to the Senior Bowl and kind of stood out there, proved yeah. that he can compete against Division One competition, and now he's here. Um, he, he, his measurements were kind of off the charts. He has, like, the longest wingspan, the, the longest arms, the, the biggest hands uh, out of all the safeties. Uh, and he's like, he's like the Division Two model of Isaiah Simmons in a way because yeah, he's just this versatile player who can do so many different things. He played uh, a lot of strong safety. Uh, but also excels uh, in the box, up like in a linebacker up near the, the line of scrimmage too. So, um, on top of that, he's a punt returner, which is something the Browns really haven't had uh, a dangerous threat since like Travis Benjamin. Yeah, sure. It's been a while. Um, so he can do all these different things. Uh, he would be there in the in the second round um, if he blows up. During workouts here, maybe maybe somebody who sneaks in the bottom of the first round, but probably the second round. Like you said, if they do address the you know, offensive line in the first round, he's he's the kind of player that's there. But he's that versatile guy who who can do a lot of different things. He's a little raw in some areas, but but just has all the physical tools. Um, he spent six years in college, so he's older. Yeah. He's almost twenty-four, I believe. Point. Yep. Uh, he had a redshirt season, then he had a medical redshirt season. I mean, six six years in college—that's a long time. Uh, but but he's here now, and and there are some players like that later on. You know, there, there's the guys at the top, who who get all the press. But but he's somebody who I think could sneak in there and be someone very useful to a defense that wants to be able to move people around. Yeah, Scott, I think you're on the right track there. And you brought up where how his stock might rise, and that's where the Browns might miss him if he's a guy who you know starts getting some buzz you know right. playing d2 you're you're not on many radars and then like you said you stand out the senior bowl and that's how your profile starts building here one guy who was at the podium today um antoine winfield jr 
he's another guy who feels like he's quickly rising. Uh, of course, the name carries itself. Uh, his father, Antoine Winfield, uh, Ohio State Buckeye standout. Winfield Jr. said that he was actually born in Columbus. Um, and he, he was the Big Ten defensive back of the year. Um, played, I believe, four seasons at the Gophers, one of them being a redshirt year. And he was really there for uh, the Gophers' rise with P.J. Fleck. He was there under two coaches and almost came close to uh, transferring. And then Fleck comes in, and he, he mentioned how it was a, a tough first year, an interesting second year, he said. And then year three, they caught fire, and things started to work. So he saw a, a program rise. And I, I kind of like the comp to the Browns. I, I know it's the theme in Berea often, but this new regime wants to have the Browns way. And Winfield is a guy who literally already endured such change and saw it come on the other side. Being from Minnesota, a lot of a lot of my friends uh, are U of M alumni. They were blown away by the transformation inside the Twin Cities this year, and Winfield had a lot to do with that. He was the heart of that team. Um, now, measurables, he's a smaller guy, probably 5'9", uh, 5'10"-ish. Um, he, he doesn't run from that. He knows exactly who he is. Um, he, he's a hell of a tackler. He wants to play deep safety. That's where he thinks he's best. But he really can play anywhere. He's comfortable over the tight end, over the corners. And he also mentioned how he wants to prove the doubters wrong who thinks he's not fast enough to play center field. Because at that size, you really need to be the Earl Thomas, Eric Weddle comp um, when, you, when you don't have that uh, game-busting size. To me, he seems like... Look, if he if he can hit those type of speeds, and maybe he is a Thomas Weddle comp, I see a bit of a bigger Eric Murray, if you will, stockier in a way. Um, he's real cerebral. He studies a bunch of tape. He just raved about watching tape even with his dad when he was like 12, 13. So he, you know, he's been groomed for this. And um, a lot like Duggar, he is a, Winfield's a guy who's got that second round grade right now. And unlike Duggar, I don't see his stock going up as much just because the size is what it is. Yeah. You're taking a risk when you're drafting a smaller DB like that who has to go up against, you know, six, five tight ends. So those are a couple DBs that the Browns are likely keeping an eye on if they do address offensive line in the first round. And Scott, you said it too, there's holes all over this defense. Do we Do we have any idea yet how these players may fit with Joe Woods with him being having a defensive back background you have to think he's going to be pushing for the Browns to really address and grab a defensive back it can't be any later than probably the second or third round right yeah I mean I think he's probably going to want to have I mean they have to get safety fixed they have to figure out safety that's just a priority no matter matter who it is Uh, what I'm curious is kind of what they value in DBs do they do they like small fast yeah. guys do they like the seattle model where it's kind of lanky you know you take chances on lankier guys right. maybe later in the draft um you know john dorsey took a couple of shots like that that didn't work out late in the draft you, you know the, the good thing about it is i think they can look at their starting corners and say okay denzel ward is really good um greedy williams you know i, I don't he's fine and can, has a lot of room to get better so and, and they're very different body types you know, Denzel Ward, small, fast, can be a shutdown corner. Greedy Williams is, is a big guy, uh, a little longer. So they have that going for them. They need to figure out nickel, and, and then they've got to get the safety position figured out. But the fact that they have two corners to kind of 
build around at least, or you hope that you can build around him, and at least one of them has shown he's a really good player when he's healthy. That's a really good starting point. Mm-hmm. So now you figure out nickel, you figure out safety. We'll see what they do in free agency. Uh, if, if the right guys maybe make it to the market, maybe that's how they fix it. Uh, th- th- there's a lot of different options there. Uh, if you know, if they want to go a different way in the second round, maybe go tight end in the second round or, right. or something like that. And I think that's where the draft really gets interesting for this team is when you get into day two, how are they going to attack those days? Like two things. Number one, I can't believe Antoine Winfield has a child who's going to be going into the NFL this year. <laughs> like, I, I just... I just can't believe it. it. Just makes me feel old. It's <laughs> incredible. Remembering him at Ohio State, I just I don't know. And then uh, number two, um, there's a school of thought uh, among the analytics crowd that uh, there's more value in getting people who can defend the pass on the back end than there are sure. in people who can rush the passer. Yep. So if you look at it that way, and, and the Browns, we assume are, are you know going heavier back into uh, an analytics model. So yeah, that's a great so, point. And, and you got, like you said, you got Joe Woods who has a defensive back background. So, yep. you know, then it makes sense that, that maybe you want to beef up the back end a little more. And you know you got Miles Garrett, who's one of the top pass rushers in the league already. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that they would want to want to go with with a safety or or even you know if you if you want to draft a nickel. Yep. Um, you do it, you know, in the top half of the draft. So. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a Winfield um, connection here with how many Minnesota guys Cleveland has brought in. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if him and Stefanski have a relationship through, you know, Winfield Sr., even Joe Wood spending time in Minnesota. Uh, Winfield Jr. said at the podium uh, when he's talking with teams, you know, everyone brings up his dad, whether you coached with him <laughs> or played with him. It, the guy had a uh, obviously stand out at Ohio State and then a long career in the NFL. You're going to make a lot of connections that way. One thing I want to touch on before I get out of here, um, I went to the quarterback wide receiver throwing session last night, and just a, just a quick takeaway. Um, I had my eye on K.J. Hill, who I, I did write about earlier in the week. Um, this is my first time to really – look, tape is what it is, but this is my first time to see him uh, up close and how he runs. And The kid's smooth, and I know everyone knows that, but it, it, when you see it um, – for example, they have this thing called the gauntlet drill, and one thing that really stands out there is you need to stay on that line. When you start drifting in and out – it becomes really obvious, you know, obviously the, the turf is green, that white line is bright, and these cleats are flashy, you know, right when they're stepping off it. And KJ did a, a really stood out in his footwork. He doesn't waste any steps. Of course, his hands are as clean as can be, might be one of the best in the draft. What did stand out about him, though, is he just doesn't have that, that top-end speed. And you notice it in his 40, and I, I forget his, his official time. I'm assuming it was in the 4-4 somewhere. But um, just with the eye test, you could tell he gets out of his break, uh, explodes out of there, but then he caps off around 20 yards, 25 yards. And, and, and quite frankly, and he already comped himself to this guy, but I just saw a lot of Jarvis Landry. And that's why I want to I be clear that him fading at the back end of that 40 isn't a knock. It, you know, the football is a game of making plays in small spaces. Your 40 is, we've seen plenty of receivers run 4-3-3 and not really transpire in anything in the NFL. Um, so I just wanted to get that nugget out there. K.J. Hill is a guy who uh, you'd have to assume is going to start getting some real buzz coming up. The people that I was sitting with 
um, you know, NFL, or draft network guys, these guys who have a, a much closer eye when it comes to scouting than I do, um, were really impressed with KJ. It was it, it's cool watching these things because when guys do something, everyone you're watching is like, "Ooh, that's nice," or "Ooh, I like that," you know. <laughs> or they drop a ball, they're like, "Oh, what were they doing there?" Um, so you kind of look. It might be groupthink, and I might just be getting a, a rub by the people who are who are around me. But I, I was impressed uh, with KJ Hill yesterday, and it, it, it makes a lot of sense if the Browns do decide to address wide receiver. Look, we have talked basically this entire podcast about. There are much higher needs than wide receiver on this team right yeah. now. Um, but, hey, if things go a way the Browns aren't expecting and you don't want to reach on a guy, you know, like if these DBs we just mentioned are gone, it, it might make sense to find KJ Hill somewhere in the, the third or fourth round there. Um, you guys, before we wrap up, any any final thoughts on, on the 2020 NFL Combine here? The gauntlet drill is how the NFL should decide overtime games. Oh, I, I love they it. should just have like, like a couple of receivers going across the field. Let one defender out there try to tackle him or something. I'm here for that. That's the best drill of the whole thing. It's, so, it's fun. It's a blast. Um, let's see. How about a quarterback take? I really like Joe Burrow. Yep. I want him to be really good. I, I, think, it's, I think he's a really fun quarterback. And we saw his season at LSU, the toughness and – all of that, I want him to to show up and, and be really good in the NFL because I think he's got a great personality and could be fun matchups for years to come. Uh, if, if Baker Mayfield turns his career around this season and you got Lamar Jackson in Baltimore yeah, and then yeah. Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and we'll see what Pittsburgh does post-Ben. Uh, he's, who knows, he could play till he's 50. Uh, you know, you, you could have some fun divisional games in the AFC North. Yeah, Dan, there's, there's a lot of truth there. It probably won't be good for the Browns when Burrow is finally named the number one pick, but for what we do, it makes the AFC North uh, even more interesting than it already is, believe it or not. Um, All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. A quick reminder, um, you can join and become friends of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. If you aren't already a subscriber, then shoot me a text to join the community and get daily insight, analysis, and breaking news from me and our Browns team. Here's my number, 216-208-3965. Again, 216-208-3965. 3965. Text me to get a free tri- trial. You can cancel any time, but you won't want to. So please, text 216-208-3965 to become friends of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. For myself, Dan Lobby, and Scott Pasco, we're signing off here from the NFL Scouting Combine. Take care, y'all. <laughs>